0: Welcome to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm your host, Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis is all about our city as an urban place, including its neighborhoods, buildings, pathways, and parks, as well as the people who shape it. Join us each week as community leaders and commentators talk with me about our shared built environment. Support for WYXR, including our 2022 stereo sessions, comes from Tamburino. Tamburino staff of IT specialists help businesses with technology setup and support. Details at Tamburino.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Memphis Metropolis and WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm the host, Emily Trenum. And this week, my guest is Devaney Perry, who's the executive director of an organization called building Memphis, which is near and dear to me, and been wanting to have Devaney on for a while. She's been in her position, I guess, for like a year. And so welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Emily. Um, Yes, I've been in this position actually for maybe exactly a year today. I didn't even think about it. January
0: 25th. Well, and then you were there probably three or four years before that and other positions, right?
1: Yes, um, with sorry with Building Memphis since 2017, but in the executive director position um, since January 25th, 2021. So I want to talk about what Building Memphis is. You know what
0: its what its programs and mission are, but also I know Building Memphis is an acronym. So let's just start off by it's actually not uh, you know building the word. It's B Big B Big L B D B G. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I'm getting myself confused, but anyway, so, so, but building, building stands for something. So what is that?
1: Yeah. Building BLDG building stands for build, live, develop, and grow. Um, The work that we do is in support of neighborhoods. So when we think about those words, um, that's our vision for neighborhoods and the vision of our work in neighborhoods.
0: Yeah. I really love that. The so so let's so what you just you sort of described, you know, the overarching goal of the organization. But what does Building Memphis do? What's a sort of a description of it?
1: Yeah, um, Building Memphis, we're a membership organization. Um, our members are community development corporations, organizations, nonprofits, um, government, as well as some uh financial. Uh, institution representatives that are all focused on community development. Um, And community development, that is the work of um, really supporting and stewarding investment and growth in neighborhoods. So at Building Memphis, we support our members uh, through our coalition, um, through capacity building to support their organization's efforts to do that work in neighborhoods. We also support the advocacy um, as they need Uh, different things for investment into their organizations, as well as investment into the neighborhoods that they're working in. Um, We support our CDCs with advocacy um, in those areas. And then we also have civic engagement. Um, We do a significant amount of civic engagement work around, again, neighborhoods, um, everything from housing to transportation, transit, mobility, um, how we engage with government spaces, uh, specifically the planning world. Um, yeah, we provide civic engagement through all of those. So, well. so
0: um, I've had a couple of the CDCs on on the program earlier, but call out some of the organizations that are members. And I think, I mean, I'm interested in the organizations, but also specifically, what are some neighborhoods? that people know about, people have heard about that are represented by these neighborhood-based developers?
1: Okay. Um, Some CDCs that um, are within our membership, and I'll just say that there are a significant number of CDCs in Memphis. Not all CDCs in Memphis are Building Memphis members. Um, However, they're doing the community development work still, um, and they're still really great organizations. We would love for them to be members of Building Memphis. But uh, our current membership, some organizations that uh, are in neighborhoods that a lot of people know right now include Frazier CDC in Fraser, Klondike Smoky City CDC in Klondike and Smoky City neighborhoods of North Memphis. You also have G Work Greater Whitehaven Economic Redevelopment Corporation um, in Whitehaven, of course. Um, we have Mustard Seed in South Memphis. Uh, South Memphis Alliance. Um, South Memphis Alliance, their executive director is also um, Shelby County Commissioner Reginald Milton. Um, And we have uh, Raleigh CDC. um, And that uh, CDC's founder is city councilwoman Rhonda Logan. Um, So there are CDCs all throughout Memphis. We also have CDCs in Hickory Hill, Power Center CDC.
0: Um, These are a few. And the Heights also.
1: Yes. And the height, right. I can't forget about the height.
0: I mean, they're, I mean, they're not, there are others and, you know, we, you love them all as I, I know it, as I do as well. So um, yeah, that's actually interesting that um, I feel like there's greater going back to the political leadership. I feel like that's, I wouldn't say new, new within the last 10 years you've got that ha- I think has led to greater awareness uh, among elected officials of the importance of CDC's as the engines for neighborhood redevelopment, having someone on city council and someone on county commission that actually founded and run them. That's, that I think is a, on some level, a game changer. So what's the, um, so let's do a little bit of a deeper dive into some of the programs. So you mentioned capacity building, and I guess that's, um, What are some of the things that fall fall under that? I guess that's things for staff, but probably also these are small organizations. There's probably programs for the board members as well. So what are some of the things you offer in a training or professional development capacity to the member organizations?
1: Okay. Um, Yeah, so capacity building um, is a pretty jargony word in the nonprofit. It is. It means so many different things to so many different sectors. Um, Within our community development sector, uh, capacity building is again, supporting the CDC's work in community-led development. Um, Their ability to do the work and drive equitable development in these neighborhoods. So Building Memphis, we provide capacity for these organizations to do those things. Um, Some of our capacity building offerings um, include technical assistance uh, for our members. Um, We also host a number of trainings and workshops. Our 2022 calendar for our capacity building trainings and workshops um, are just amazing. I'm really uh, happy. And excited for our staff and for our membership Um, plug our CDC membership um, is open right now between now and March 4th. So we do encourage all CDCs that want to be a member um, to go ahead and join at this time. But some of those areas, of course, are community engagement, principles of real estate development. Um, neighborhood level data uh, developing performers, but then you know also those very key things like board governance, grant writing and fundraising um, developing or building an effective board those are some of our areas
0: so you you mentioned real estate and and, um, and performance and that reminds me um, and, and I, I guess I should ring the bell on myself because um, people who don't know, performers are basically just, you know, the revenue and expenses um, for a real estate project that you simplifying here, that you use to make sure your project will break even and earn a profit over time. So, um, uh, but so what I meant to ask you before I, about the capacity building was what are some of the things that these organizations do because some of them do do development but but they do a lot of different things.
1: Yeah. Um our CDC areas of expertise are pretty vast here in Memphis. Um everything from youth development to economic development. Uh so it could be focused on the businesses that are there, um the commercial vacant spaces and getting businesses in those spaces. Um, Also food access, Um, a significant number of our neighborhoods are uh, food deserts here in Memphis. Um, And I'll just also say that our CDCs are serving the under-resourced communities of Memphis. Um, That's where primarily our CDCs are serving. So those Different um, solutions to equity or solutions to equitable development um, are the primary areas of expertise of our CDCs, those things that impact households um, and their abilities to thrive Um, in livable communities. Those those are the. areas of our programming and as well as that we're trying to support our CDCs to fulfill their goals and their community's goals. In.
0: So it sounds like, you know, physical development, economic development, and then um, some social services as well. Yes. So I know that you got a, um, a very big grant lately from the Small Business Association. And I wanted to ask about that because that's you know, that's a very big deal. It's a national grant and it's called the community navigator pilot program. And so tell me about that. I mean, I guess a couple of, well, a couple of questions. Um, I mean, what's the grant going to do and how did you, you know, decide to pursue it?
1: Okay. Um, We applied for this grant in June or July of last year. Um, And my focus for the years of me doing uh, this work at the government space, um, as well as the nonprofit space has been focused on economic development. Um, And I used to have a very strong um, tie into entrepreneurship and small business development. So when I began working at Building Memphis, I was always drawn to the economic development strategies of neighborhoods um, and then always noticing that there was a bit of misalignment between our cities just larger economic development strategy um, and how to build our, our city economy and also neighborhoods. Like the connection was not there. So those are things that I've already I've always been focused on and noticing. So. When I saw this grant, um, it came at a time when the current presidential administration, they were just uplifting a lot of issues that people were experiencing in cities um, that had a lack of resources and historic disinvestment. So with that American Rescue Plan Act, um, just going through and looking at the different funds that existed, While at the same time, we were looking at our capacity building programming um, and wanting to evolve that programming, specifically in some areas like economic development, there were just such strong linkages between this program, the Community Navigators Pilot Program, and the strategy that we wanted to go in with regard to um, supporting our CDCs with neighborhood economic development strategies. Um, So the Community Navigators Pilot Program um, is set up to support disadvantaged businesses who we saw during 2020 during the COVID-19 uh the the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic we saw that several demographics of businesses were not able to apply for local funds and then we also saw that these businesses um they were they were starting to close up shop um so it's like what can government do to support these businesses. In Memphis, we also saw a significant amount of local funding and local support to businesses um, from our local municipalities. However, we are not sure if our neighborhood businesses had the opportunities to access those. Um, And when we reached out to our CDCs, we realized that they had some programming with regard to supporting small business development, but it wasn't really formalized. And we wanted to say, okay, you have significant programming. You're making a significant impact. You have significant relationships and resources for the businesses in your neighborhoods and communities. How can we align all of these things? So that was our application to uh, the small business administration that was awarded um, Memphis CDC's anchorings, Small business neighborhood, small businesses. So our CDC's we're working with seven of them because they had existing uh, small business development programming. Um, I know right now Whitehaven has an open opportunity for facade improvements for neighborhood businesses within the Whitehaven area. Um, So small business programming, they had economic development strategies. I know in South Memphis, there's been a lot of conversation around moving their tips forward. And I know one has... um, Made it to that next step. So, uh, working with a CDC in South Memphis. Um, and those are just different examples of CDCs with economic development strategies. So, we're going to be utilizing this two year grant to support and align those resources. And so, it's- we're also bringing back Memphis. I just wanted to say, we're also bringing back Memphis, which a lot of people. Um, loved the activation piece of like a full block for business pop-ups and business and bringing people together.
0: Yeah. Uh, things like, I don't know, that's been several years. People might remember the first Memphis was new face. for an old broad, but there's also been Memphis, which are really kind of pop-up creative placemaking making um, events that um, sort of show how a, really show how um, an intersection a neighborhood a place could be with some interventions and there's been several cross town and the edge and S- South City and there's been a ton over the years well that's exciting well so the money so the the money and I don't want to get too much into the weeds but so you'll you're gonna support well the money be um, Will the CDCs be able to utilize the funds and, you know, customize it for their neighborhood or will it be, you know, grants or staff or um, are you sort of working on that? Is it a different approach in every neighborhood?
1: Yeah, Um, it's going to be a different approach in every neighborhood. Um, As members of Building Memphis, the CDCs that we're working with, of course, you have to be a member. Um, But we're working with, uh, they're going to complete their CAT, their capacity assessment uh, test to really diagnose um, and identify what their goals are and where they are as an organization. And they're going to get a customized work plan. Um, And from that work plan, we'll know what types of activities, Like, are they going to produce a business directory for their communities, Um, maybe a a business council? Some some CDC's do lead business advisory councils um, to really discuss economic development um, within those boundary areas. Um, Will there be signage? uh, opportunities for local businesses. We will be discussing all those things and developing individualized plans with these seven CDCs, which are also known as our spokes. Um, It's a hub spoke model that this project is based on.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. I think sometimes people don't always think, you know, there's all this emphasis on our, and everything about, you know, innovation and technology. And sometimes the tried and true signage merchants associations, uh, you know, small grants. I mean, sometimes the sort of tried and true strategies are really what's needed. So I'm happy mm-hmm. to hear that. So if you're just joining us, you're listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm talking to Devaney Perry, who's the Executive Director of Building Memphis. So I want to talk about policy, public policy. So I know that's a big thrust. And of course, that's a big interest of mine as well. But one other question about this um, community navigator its called a pilot program. And does that mean that you have the opportunity to go back and is it that the, the member organizations are piloting different strategies and then they're going to try to make them sustainable? Or do you have an opportunity to go back to the federal government and and pursue longer term funding to um, institutionalize some of this work?
1: Um, It's definitely a pilot program all the way around. It's a pilot program from its inception um, with it coming from the American Rescue Plan Act. Um, Again, they let us know in the orientation meetings and things with the Small Business Administration that, if this goes well, they are looking at how to formalize this as a program within the U.S. Small Business Administration. Um, Even with Building Memphis, you know, if this goes well, whether it goes well or not, I, I assume it's going to be successful. But this is going to give Building Memphis the opportunity to have a formalized economic development curriculum for our CDCs. Like, this is how we can communicate and state the value of CDCs and the impact that they have um, with regard to economic development within our neighborhoods. So that's the pilot portion of it for for us and what we're working on.
0: Plus, you know, I'm a a little familiar with, uh, you know, the economic development and entrepreneurial landscape here in Memphis. And... You know, there's a lot of players in the space and there's a lot of funders. And of course, they're working with or with entrepreneurs at the neighborhood level. But I don't think anyone is working specifically to strengthen, you know, neighborhood infrastructure. And so it seems like there's a niche that you're filling. And if it's successful, which I agree, I think it will be, there might be local funding opportunities to continue the work since I don't think anybody else is doing it.
1: Yes. Um, and I'm really excited We're working with um, Epicenter, Edge. We hope to work with our regional SBA office. Um, We also hope to establish the appropriate connections with the City of Memphis Entrepreneurs Network as well. So I think just formalizing spaces where um, our CDCs are seen as hubs, not just for blight, not just for um, healthy housing, but also for um, economic development and small business development as well. For sure. Okay, so let's talk about
0: policy and advocacy. You know, this has always been a big focus on the uh, the work of building Memphis because you know there's so many barriers to neighborhood redevelopment and there's, you know, it just always needs to be, you know, ranging from predatory lending to the lack of funding. Um, So there's always got to be a concerted effort um, to bring everybody together, build coalitions. And so, so just tell me a couple of your, I know that, you know, there's a lot of policy priorities every year, but let's just talk about, let's just say your top three that you're working on in 2022.
1: Okay. Um I will share that there are exactly 3. Um we've done some again <laughs> some revisions <laughs> Good. (laughs) We've done some revisions within our policy space as well. So our capacity building program area, as well as our advocacy program area. So our policy, of course, is to drive investments into neighborhoods. Um, And our coalition determines what our advocacy agenda is for the year. Um, And those three areas are healthy and affordable housing, strong neighborhoods, and community economic development. Um, Some of our Ongoing <laughs> policy strategies um, in our policy campaign that we're gonna just probably take up a notch um, is our housing trust fund advocacy. Building Memphis has been advocating for a housing trust fund uh, maybe since about 2014, but maybe a little bit longer than that. Oh, um, long, <laughs> longer, believe me. So, so, but um, but explain what
0: I did do a show on this back, you know, early on. But explain what a housing trust fund is.
1: Um, a house a housing trust fund is a fund that is set up with flexible dollars, more flexible than any federal government program or state program. But these dollars will allow our nonprofit developers to develop in areas where traditional banks are not. Uh, providing loans to develop uh, and construct properties. But also um, the reason why a trust fund is needed is because the cost for construction um, is more than the cost of, uh, for an organization to rent that house out at an affordable rate. So just to have an additional fund to fill that gap to act as a subsidy is the purpose of the trust fund. Um, but you guys can find out more. We have a website, um, trustfund.org, trustfund 901.org. Um, and you can also find it from the buildingmemphis.org website.
0: But Memphis has a trust fund, correct? So what are you what specifically are you working on now?
1: Um, Memphis does have a trust fund. Um, Our city council approved it by resolution in 2019. Um, We have been advocating for a permanent, dedicated source of funding so that in each city of Memphis annual budget, um, we know that there's a source of funding that is being allocated towards the trust fund. We don't have that as of yet. We also don't have an ordinance. So we we also would like an ordinance for our trust fund because we we would like for our trust fund to be sustained. Um, And then that would also allow us to fundraise. Um, One great thing about trust funds, there are over about 700 across the country is that the funding does not only come from the municipal governments. It also can come from uh, private donors and foundation. And through philanthropy, it's actually set up with the Community Foundation of Greater Memphis, which is already the tool and vehicle for it to uh, just to be sustained and and take in a, a, a influx of donors that are non governmental. So, um, just being able to expand that is what we would like for our city okay. government to do. Okay. So, what else?
0: What are your other sort of action items?
1: Um. Another thing in housing, um, we are going to be advocating for uh, middle missing, um, missing housing, middle. middle sorry missing middle housing. Um, <laughs> one good thing about this is we are hoping that our state gets involved to um, expand the opportunities of developers um, in the state of Tennessee to develop one to four units, however, that they won't be taxed at commercial rates. At this time, um, if a unit has more than two dwellings, a property has more than two dwellings that are used for rental, um, they're taxed at commercial rates, which is just not, it's not the best for um, us to actually fill the gap with um, missing middle um, properties. And those would be your duplexes, your triplexes, um, and your quads. So being able to expand beyond single family housing development is the goal.
0: Yeah. Well, people don't really think, think about it. And we, we, I've talked about this before on the show is that, you know, there's just, there's single family houses and then there's apartment complexes. And I mean, there's some parts of Memphis that have townhouses, but, but for a long time, you know, na- older neighborhoods were built with, you know, quads and duplexes, and those were great places for um, for people to live. And those options went away in terms of new development for the reasons you mentioned. And uh, that's great that you're working on that, especially since it, you know, aligns with the, uh, you know, Memphis 3.0 build up, not out comprehensive mm-hmm. plan which encourages density and structures like that if people can afford to build a mark, way to add density without necessarily adding a lot more structures just i'll be getting on my soapbox for a minute so yeah. so what i know you're doing some work on transit equity so talk a little bit about that i know this you know of course this show is not really I don't think it's super timely. You know, the people listen to it at any time. But I know you're doing a lot of work on transit equity and their National Transit Equity Day is coming up in February. So so talk about that for a minute.
1: So February the 4th. Um, To commemorate Rosa Parks' birthday is National Transit Equity Day. Um, At Building Memphis, another one of our policy areas is transportation and mobility, um, which includes pedestrian safety as well as transit options. Um, So we are hosting a Pizza with Planners, one of our Civic Forum engagements. It's open to the public. Um, This time it will be virtual, but it's open to the public. Um, And we are having a conversation around transit funding. Um, this is something that as a community, as a county, we've touched several times over the last three or four years, um, really trying to determine what we're, what are we going to do as a county with regard to expanding transit. So we're going to bring in a few different viewpoints um, and also just let people know what's happening with regard to transit um on February the 1st um it's a series a partnership of different organizations Rhodes college is having an event um building memphis we are mica they're also having a conversation as well as the sierra club so we're we're happy to be a part of the outreach around transit um and getting the message around transit and the need to expand transit options in memphis through our neighborhoods and across our county um Another good thing that we're doing, not good, I meant big. Um, Another big thing that we're doing was with regard to pedestrian safety. We've been working with the national and state um, highway safety office for a few years now. Um, But this particular year, we are gonna have some neighborhood ambassador groups that are really focused on pedestrian safety. Um, Memphis has had a pedestrian safety plan for some time now um, but we really want to bring that to people, communicate it in a larger way and hopefully we'll get to the point where we have a Vision Zero plan for Memphis. And To, and
0: to explain what that is.
1: A Vision Zero plan, um, it is a national initiative um, with the goal to eliminate traffic fatalities and increase safety um, by a certain year. You say Vision Zero zero and you put the year on it. Um, I think there's only maybe one or two vision zero plans in Memphis, the uh, Memphis medical district, they have a vision zero plan, but being able to just bring that to more neighborhoods and then expand it as a city. And is vi- something. And vision
0: zero means zero pedestrian deaths, zero pedestrian deaths. Okay, Amen um, to that. That's, that's a, a, a a big ask for Memphis, but, uh, for sure. Well, with pursuing, what are these? Amb- so
1: what exactly are these
0: ambassadors going to be doing?
1: These ambassadors, well, f- from our conversations, we've had conversations in the Fraser community, the Alcy ball community, um, Hickory Hill, and one other that's escaping me right now. Um, each community has s- some different plans. Um, A few of them are really focused on safe routes to school. Um, That's really big having just the network um, of of safety so that their kids can get to school. The routes to school um, are safe. Um, Some have been working with. pedestrian crossing garage outside of middle schools. Um, that's been a thing. Um, and then we've had some communities in the Fraser area. Um, they've been actually just thinking through different policy options. I think one of the great policy options that came out of the uh, the 2021 conversations that we had in Fraser um, was around um, requesting that the city of Memphis before there is a development of a any type of city infrastructure, community center, library, that there is a, a, a pedestrian safety plan. Um, a great example is the uh, library, um, the 3030 Poplar Library, Ben Hooks Library. I don't remember when they built that library, it was in the 2000s, um, but it wasn't until 2020, 2019 that they got a crosswalk outside. I know,
0: and the bus stop is across and the, the bus street. Stop. And the bus stop is across <laughs> and the, the street at no light and no pedestrian refuge. So, yeah.
1: so I mean that's a huge uh, and a huge and a very cherished um, public space. Totally, and for it to not have um, the necessary safety parameters outside, so people can access it. Um, just being able to think through things like that. Um, and not think of things in a very siloed way. It's like, what are all the many different components of of having the library? Um, So those are just some of the things that our ambassadors have been thinking through. So we're just gonna formalize this program and support like long-term strategy so that we can actually, you know, pull these ideas into actual advocacy within these neighborhoods.
0: Okay. Okay. That's great. Well, you're gonna have your work cut out for you this year. On the advocacy on on every and every way, <laughs> but particularly because the I know the advocacy work is very time uh, time consuming and a lot of it's kind of a slog. But I know that you'll be successful and so great. So so um you've been I've been talking to Devaney Perry, who's the executive director of Building Memphis, and. You're listening to Memphis Metropolis and WYXR 91.7 FM. So Debbie, thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me. You're
0: listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. Have you checked out any of WYXR's other shows? You can see the whole program guide on our website at WYXR.org. And while you're there, please consider making a donation. a brand new station lifting up everything memphis and we need your support but don't go away stay tuned for the rest of the show
1: Memphis Listening Lab proudly supports WYXR. They provide a curated collection of music and music history, a forum for music-related talks and performances, and a music education, appreciation, and experimentation space located in
0: Crosstown Concourse. The Lab is open Tuesday through Saturdays from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. You can find out more information on their Instagram page at Memphis Listening Lab or on their website at memphislisteninglab.org. Hi everybody! Welcome to the second part, part two of Memphis Metropolis. The first half of the show, I had Devaney Perry, who is the executive director of Building Memphis, and for this portion of the show, I've got Austin Harrison, uh, who's a, a housing expert and a Rose College professor, and one of our regular commentators who has a lot of experience working with Building Memphis and with community development corporations generally. So. Kind of a subject matter expert, I like to think. So, welcome back to the show, Austin. <laughs>
2: Thanks for having me, Emily. Always, always happy to be here.
0: So, um, so what, what, what are your thoughts about the discussion with Devaney?
2: I thought it was, I thought it was fascinating. I mean, I, I think the the work that building Memphis has has been doing recently, and with her being, you know, relatively new uh, in that role, and then only having, you know, been in. Uh, f- familiar with building Memphis for the last few years, I think the way she is adapting to the changing evolutions of of the community development field are really interesting. But for me, it really had me thinking about sort of how we got here, right? Maybe this is my my uh, my scholarly I don't know what whatever that is coming out. But but it's interesting to me to think what how has the community development industry changed in the existence of this organization. And to be honest, I think I'd like to ask for interviewer privilege here a little bit if I can have it Emily, <laughs> because I'm really interested to pick your brain and how you, you know, having that role for so long and having been sort of the founding director of that organization. Um, could I ask a few questions kind of about, uh, sure. about that Sure.
0: Yeah, that didn't really come up in the interview, especially that part of the show. I don't want it to be about me, um, but I was executive director for 17 years.
2: Yeah, yeah, and, and and so I think to, to really situate the current uh, focuses, right? Specifically, when Devaney mentioned, you know, the strong neighborhoods, the housing, the economic development focus, kind of owning this space of of local economic development, right? It was really interesting to me to think about how that maybe relates to to your yeah your time as as director and just how that how how that sort of shows the way community development as a whole is changing here in 2022.
0: Well, you know, the organization started in 2000, and I came on board shortly thereafter. And I, I think it was really needed for a number of reasons. You know, there at the time, the community development corporations, which of course are the engines for neighborhood change, uh, did not have a particularly close relationship with the city. And I think generally speaking, the city, both the city government, both the mayor's office and the, you know, the different divisions that affect community development are, they understand the work of Community Development Corporation. They understand how important that work is and they're supportive of it. But that wasn't the case uh, in 2000. And so there was a need to you know, to have a coalition so there the individual organizations could come together and speak with a, you know, speak with a louder voice. And of course that, that need has not gone away, but I would say it was at the time it was urgent because you had a lot of organizations, you know, doing their work at the neighborhood level. And, you know, coming together is just more powerful on a lot of different levels. And, and also the, you know, the need to come together for learning and training and information sharing, you know, I don't think when you think about it, I mean, we have, and you know, this Austin, we have a lot of distressed neighborhoods. And if you are a community leader in, Let's just say Westwood. I'm just using them as an example. And you look around and you see a lot of changes that are needed. And and you think, I need to get some people together because government's not coming in at the moment and helping us. So someone's got to do something. I'm going to do it. And because a lot of times the the nonprofit sector has to ignite change before before the private sector eventually catches up. But I'm in, I don't know anything about real estate. I mean, I know how to, it's not difficult to do a closed closet and to not to diminish those kinds of activities, which are critically important, but but you can figure out how to, but I don't have any capacity to do any, you know, real estate property acquisition, let alone capital. And and so that was another reason that the uh, the organization, which was called Community Development Council, needed to come together to tap into training opportunities, but to help each other learn those skills that were needed to, to start making change at the neighborhood level.
2: Yeah, that, that's really interesting. And it gets to a larger tension. I want to dig into a, a little bit more here, mainly thinking about In in your, you know, in 2000, when the CD Council was getting off the ground, how, what was the industry like, right? I know today we have a plethora of CDCs, right? Because as you mentioned, the awareness of what a CDC is has grown in in Memphis. But at that time, were there, it it didn't, it doesn't seem like maybe the CD Council was the only group that was kind of learning some of that development skills So how did, how did the kind of CDCs look like at that time and how have they changed since then?
0: Well, there was... There was a lot less capacity. There were, interestingly, some of the p- people that were around then are still around today. And you had a couple of organizations that were doing projects. And I'm just talking about real estate at the moment, even though community development obviously is a lot more than real estate. But you had, um, you know, the works in South Memphis was doing, uh, developing affordable housing you had united housing and organizations like habitat who do af- affordable housing development and also do home ownership programs uh, but for the most part the 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 a lot of the other organizations were had a lot less capacity they were bringing people together but the probably mostly volunteer led executive directors and the, there wasn't a lot of um there was a lot of very small players and only a couple of bigger ones. And that course, that's completely changed. Now, you still got definitely have have the grassroots smaller grassroots organizations, but now we have a whole wealth of. Organizations that are doing large projects. I mean, mm-hmm. the work has grown leaps and bounds. They've expanded way beyond South Memphis to Frazier and Colorado Smoky City. You know, Fraser, uh CDC was just really a dream in someone's eye. And now, of course, it's very large, very successful. Binghamton did not have a, and it kind of interestingly, in some neighborhoods, there was multiple small organizations that would fight amongst themselves. That was the case in Binghampton. And of course, Binghamton now they're doing workforce development, housing, commercial development. So we have a number of very large, and I think that's a, a reflection of them Some new leadership, but also the partnerships, government partnerships. So we're just not in place at the time when organizations started.
2: And that kind of segues to one of the the last questions that I I was thinking about um, as I was listening to the first part of the interview. Um, You know, situating. You know, really, it seemed like Devaney's big point was. Building Memphis now is going to take some ownership in this, you know, neighborhood economic development space, which traditionally has been reserved for, as you mentioned, government, quasi-governmental, industrial development boards, center city revenue finance corporation, edge, right? Um, and so, how how has that changed, right? So, what how how did that in your time, in your 17 years in that role, did you see the beginning signs of owning more of this sort of, you know, business, not just real estate development, but now thinking about Uh, as you mentioned, groups working on workforce development, you know, business development incubators, you know, building uh, companies and and businesses, right? And and so doing more holistic work, how did that sort of change in relationship to the sort of larger thinking of economic development only as reeling in the big fish kind of?
0: Well, I mean, you mentioned something important, which is that um, for a long time, you know, the, and I think in a few minutes, we're going to talk a little bit about some research you've done about sort of the national context. But I mean, the, the you know, the gold standard, I think what we're most organizations would like to be is to be doing comprehensive community development, doing comprehensive neighborhood revitalization. So you're not just doing housing. You're not just doing economic development. You're not just providing, you know, counseling or social services. You're not maybe doing it all, but you're doing a lot of it. And you're the engine of neighborhood change. And for a long time, we just didn't have organizations doing that. I think it's a combination of them just just being able to do what they're able to do at the time. And then again, I think that the organization has got more visibility. It's got more credibility. You've got more people that want to partner. And it's, a you know, government is very, like, here's a good example, like um, edge, which is of course the, the um, gives out the incentives. And, you know, for many, many years, there was no programs for neighborhood economic development. There were no incentives to, you know, fix the facade in your neighborhood dry cleaner. And, you know, several years ago, after some advocacy, you know, that entity created several programs and they partner with these neighborhood-based organizations, community development corporations, to, to make those happen. So it's a combination of resources and policy change, and then them just building up their ability, more staff, more funding, all of those things. It's been a long haul, but um, I think Devaney is, was right. I mean, they're, they're very well positioned to partner in all of these areas.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I just think that what that means for the way we're thinking about growing Memphis, right? To me, that was, that was, what was really exciting is in a lot of cities, economic development conversation is, you know, just, um, and just dominated by these, you know, large subsidies you're, uh, and no, again, not disparaging the blue oval city project or other, you know, large economic, I mean, that, that's, that's great. It definitely provides jobs and opportunities to the city. But I think thinking at the neighborhood level and how, even with these large, you know, corporations and companies coming to the Memphis area, what that means and what that means for your Beanhamptons, your Westwoods, your Riverviews, your, you know, your Klondike. Right. Yeah. So,
0: so if you're just joining us, um, uh, you're listening to Memphis Metropolis on WXR 91.7 FM. And I'm talking to Austin Harrison, who's a professor of urban studies at. Rhodes College and one of our regular commentators. So, Austin, let's. I know as part of your, you're wrapping up your PhD, and we'll uh, soon be able to call you Dr. Harrison, which we'll do there just, to, which we'll do just to annoy you. Um, <laughs> and, and the, but I know you've done part of your research in getting your, your uh, doctorate has been looking at s- sort of the national context. And um, so, so share a little bit about what you've learned and how Memphis sort of fits into that landscape.
2: Yeah, it's, it's really interesting because as you mentioned, you know, community development corporations in Memphis, and really I would say generalizable to, you know, the the broader Southern U.S. and Southeastern U.S. are are relatively new concept, right? Most of the earliest CDCs in Memphis, you know, such as the works and others are coming about in the late nineties and in the early two thousands, around the same time that the CD council was created. But if we're tracking the full story of CDCs, right? The the idea of a community development corporation was really goes all the way back to the late sixties. And, um, especially in around 1967 and 68 and sort of a lot of research shows that the first CDC was actually in, uh, the Bedford Stuyvesant neighborhood in New York and was, um, was was during uh, robert kennedy bobby kennedy's uh, presidential campaign and his and part of his platform was really centered around federal support building on the war on poverty that president lyndon b johnson created but federal support for really hyper hyper local community development but at that time they were conceptualizing what we kind of think of today as kind of lowercase d development right so not real estate projects not economic development or business but more of these social services but also mainly uh organizing and activism right so the early the early decades of cdc's in the 60s and 70s are defined by um more you know door knocking really taking lessons from labor organizing saul olenski is kind of seen as the the, one of the godfathers of, you know, community development, and he was a labor organizer in industrial cities, created the Industrial Areas Foundation, um, that's still, and, um, that's still in, and still working today, uh, but, but really was prioritizing CDCs as, as sort of grassroots organizers, and, and that really changes, um, in the 80s when the federal landscape shifts, right, and during the Reagan, Reagan administration, and we get more, kind of hands-off neoliberal policies and as uh the federal government also you know begins to divest from these social safety nets right the, the after school programs and a lot of this, the workforce development programs and a lot of the things that we see cdcs do in memphis today were traditionally reserved for either local state or federal government and so as that uh evaporates a lot of the funding for community development corporations is beginning to come in the way of, of more brick and mortar development. And so CDCs changed from being uh, organizers and activists like Gail Sincotta in Chicago, who was, you know, really instrumental in getting the community reinvestment act passed in the seventies fair, fair housing advocates in Cleveland um, you know, working uh, with the Cleveland foundation and and really uh, protesting unfair lending practices. Right. And they, and they kind of shift from that. And they become more like bankers and developers, right? You see more folks with real estate expertise come into the field. And that's really when Memphis starts, right? So by the time CDC ideas come to Memphis in the late nineties, the entire field is centered more around this brick and mortar development, but it's not like those organizing community engagement, social services, that expectation didn't go away. And so now instead of doing one or two things, CDCs, as you say, sort of in this comprehensive community development framework are expected to know the neighbors, to organize the neighbors, and, and build power when needed. They're also expected to provide social services and after-school programs and, and you know cl- closed-closet healthy eating stuff, really, really important social infrastructure for the neighborhood. And we also want you to be a developer, right? And so, and so, uh, so it sort of made it to where CDCs now kind of have to, to wear a number of different hats um, for a neighborhood.
0: Well, I think, but you're, you're pointing at something or you're not really pointing out, but I have something, an observation about mm-hmm. that, which is that, you know, even I agree with you, but, and even though the funding environment has changed, there's, you know, there's not, there is, there was funding available for bricks and mortar work but there's not a lot of funding available for the community organizing piece that's still the case and that's not true in every city like cities that there are cities that have sort of deeper funding infrastructure bigger foundations more community development intermediaries and i'm thinking about i made a went to a conference in cleveland several years ago and in that city all of the you know medium and large size CDCs have someone on staff who's either an organizer or who facilitates community. Outreach. And, you know, that's the person that will help you get a pocket park going. Yeah. Or they're not necessarily doing advocacy, but they're in, out in the community finding out what the community wants and then feeding that information back into. And that's difficult work to fund. Yeah. And when you don't have that, sometimes it gets to be a disconnect. And you sort of mentioned this tension. Sometimes you get there. Gets to be a disconnect between the work is being done and what the community really wants and needs.
2: Yep. Yeah. Exactly. And and you actually see that trend. It's, it's interesting. You mis- You mentioned Cleveland because there's uh, a lot of research that points to the Cleveland Foundation was sort of the first um, large foundation to move away from funding that uh, not just outreach but also advocacy. And it, it was no secret, right? A lot of the Gale Sinkata protests were showing up at. Um, you know, shareholders and funders of the Cleveland Foundation, you know, and they were the same folks who were funding their work and funding the organizers. And they were, you know, they started kind of pointing towards some of the power dynamics there. Right. And, And so I think because of that, you know, from from the '80s on, right, it becomes really difficult to fund that work, both philanthropically, but definitely federally, right. Most of the federal dollars that either come through, you know, locally in the Skiff funds or at home or CHOTO funds, right, are very limited. And um, and there's, as you mentioned, right, a growing growing number of, of groups that are applying for that. And so you have um, some dollars that will fund the the brick and mortar, but yeah, the the engagement, the organizing, the uh, the power building, the the neighbor, you know, the neighbor efic- efficacy work is is really difficult to fund, and it does, yeah, it does create sort of that tension you mentioned for sure.
0: And Austin, I felt for a long time like Memphis was a little behind the curve in terms of what some of its what was happening in some of its peer cities um, in terms of you know the community based organizations being involved in development and really having, but I'm feeling that's I'm feeling like that's less true now that um, we're catching up. And a a part of it is some, you know, big sort of flagship projects like the Binghamton, the the Gateway, which you see, I mean, that those kind of projects have been happening community led in other cities for a long time. For a long time, we did not see that here. But I feel like I no longer feel like we're kind of behind the curve. And uh, do you agree with that?
2: Yeah and and I think it goes back to you know I don't think it's any secret you mentioned attending that conference in Cleveland I think Memphis has begun to enter a national community development discourse because we have you know a couple decade old industry that has learned a lot has done a lot has seen what works has you know kind of grown along um, the, the government appreciation of CDC's philanthropic appreciation for the role they play. Uh, and then also, I think with outside national foundations, right. You know, such as the the Kresge Foundation, uh, such as Blue Meridian and others that are beginning to facilitate some of these, you know, cross peer city learnings, you know, going to Detroit, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, um, you know, parts of, of the Northeast U S that have been doing the CDC work for, you know, 30, 40, 50 years, um, allows us to, to begin to to pick up some of that. and and I think it's had it's also had an impact uh, on sort of the way local foundations see uh, CDCs as these holistic, uh, comprehensive organizations. And, and so I think that, that, that national peer network has really allowed us to, to catch up and apply some of those best practices in Memphis.
0: Well, it's not just a national peer network. It's actually national dollars. Mm-hmm. And I do think that's where of an incentive for local funders. I mean, local funders have been generous, but this allows them to, le- to leverage, to, for their funds to be leveraged by a national and mag- multiple, you know, multiplied in magnitude, um, by national players, so they don't feel like they're making a contribution to. They don't really know if it's going to have an impact. So yeah, I do think yeah. I do think national pure learnings, but also national. We do have more national funders, both foundations and then community development intermediaries, which are basically you know mechanisms to funnel in funding from national funders. We have yeah. we have more of that money coming That's not, there's never enough, but there is more money coming in than there used to be. And when you have that, combine that with more capacity and ability by these neighborhood-based organizations, you just see greater impact.
2: Yeah, yeah, that, that's a great point, right? Those national dollars have have pushed forward this sort of ecosystem, right? Because it's not just CDCs, but you have community development intermediaries like Community Lift. You also have a growing CDFI sector locally. We've talked about that before on past shows, but I'm, go ahead and ring the jargon bell. I am you're looking for it. I am. Okay.
0: <laughs> community,
2: community Development Financial Intermediaries, right? so, so oh, institutions,
0: Community, institutions, community institutions, Development Financial yeah, yeah.
2: Institutions. Yep. yep, yep. So CDFIs, Community Development Financial Institutions, yes, they are. Uh, they're essentially – um more patient social capital uh that is you know sometimes they actually receive some of their funds from community reinvestment act dollars from traditional banks but different than a traditional bank they're going to be willing to fund uh some of these um you know some of the work like memfix that uh, that, that Devaney was mentioning, you know, small businesses. Uh, there's the Memphis CDFI network right now is, is growing and doing a lot of great work, targeted neighborhood development work, but also citywide, you know, systems improvement work that I think is really important. Um, and so both, both, of the, all these things go together, right? Having intermediaries, having CDFIs, having um, an, these national dollars that kind of see what this ecosystem kind of looks like that can support CDCs and make, make their job a lot easier. Also on the data side, right? That's a that's a topic that's near and dear to my heart, but creating a data infrastructure, the Memphis Property Hub that can answer questions of who owns property and who, and you know uh, how much is property worth and where is it selling, who's getting evicted so that CDCs can understand how their neighborhoods are changing. I think all of these things are really important um, to growing. And, and again, the capacity building work that building does is a huge part of that ecosystem. And so I think all of these things kind of go together.
0: Okay, I agree. Well, once again we're out of time, Austin. But thanks for coming on Memphis Metropolis. I always appreciate you and you've got great
2: insights. Thank you. I'm always happy to hear it. It's right. It's always we always end right when things are getting good. But I guess (laughs) we'll have to have to to do it again. That's
0: why we have to have some beers later. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Let's do it. Thank you, Emily.
0: You've been listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis airs every Monday at 1, so please tune in again next week. You can listen to past programs on our program page at wyxr.org or on memphismetropolis.com. You can also follow us and send feedback on social media. Now, stay tuned for Memphis Undercover with Nancy.